This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives, dreamers and entrepreneurs online. I'm your host, Sarah Tasker, a certified life coach specialising in creative business and teaching all things relating to the platform that changed my life, Instagram. This is episode 97. Well, hello, my friends. It is so good to be back here talking with you like this again. There was honestly, truly a few points over the last eight months or so where I seriously doubted I would ever get back to this place, this place of being able to do all the facets of my business and and show up in these ways. So it is a huge relief and just a big joy to me to be feeling myself enough to be picking back up with you all. I have missed you. I have missed this. And I am full of fresh ideas and enthusiasm and excitement for this podcast. So watch this space. I have got actually a more personal episode planned where I'm going to share just a bit more about what's been going on with me and more importantly, the lessons I really learned over that time that I think might be helpful to some others. And I have put a bit about it, just a small amount on my blog. If you're a blog reader, that's meandola.co.uk. You can catch up a bit with me there too. But I thought for today, first episode back, I'm going to ease myself in gradually and share with you a conversation I had recently that left me feeling really filled up and inspired. And I'm hoping it will do the same for you. So today's guest is Kimberly Espinel, and she is a food photographer and stylist and author and now educator. Her incredible work has so far garnered her, I think it's 106,000 Instagram followers. And I am pretty sure that once you go over and take a look for yourself, if you haven't already, you're going to be adding yourself to that list. I actually met Kimberly for the first time a couple of years ago. It was a workshop myself and Jen Carrington were running here at my house in Yorkshire. Kimberly came along and I remember her sitting there and setting out these brilliant big goals for herself. So it was just such a thrill to catch up with her and see all the ways that she has not only made those dreams come true, but so many more in the time since. I should mention as well, right now, my big tell-all Instagram class, the Insta Retreat, is back on sale and enrolling for a class beginning in May. Kimberly is going to be joining us as it happens. She is one of our guest experts this round, and we are cooking up a very special live styling workshop to share with you all. So if you'd like to be a part of that, as well as getting six solid weeks of guided, tried and tested Instagram training and support from me, plus maybe a few other surprises I might have planned for you along the way, weekly live coaching, tons of support, and really a chance to deep dive, figure out where your blocks are, where your problems are with Instagram, and start making it the platform that works for you, then you need to join us. It's at meandola.co.uk. Head to the courses page and you will see where you can sign up. Doors are going to be closing in less than a week. So if you want in, you need to grab your spot as quickly as you can. And hopefully you will see when you go to that page, and maybe even when you look at the podcast right now in your app, that we are having a bit of a brand facelift here at Me and Ola. So this class has a beautiful new look that I am so excited about. We've moved to a custom-built learning platform, so it's now all completely within our control. And even the workbook, the beautiful printed workbook, it's got over 70 pages now. So this is easily the most valuable Instagram class that I think I've taught to date. We've also got brand new updates on things like reels, collections, alt tags, and SEO within Instagram search. And as always, if you're listening to this and you're a previous member, you've taken the class before, then you're going to get access to all of that, plus these guest lives as part of your membership, no extra cost. So if you've been meaning to join or thinking about it, the sooner you do, the sooner you can start accessing all of those guest interviews, the live workshops, the weekly coaching and all the support we offer inside. Just my opinion, maybe I'm a little biased, but personally, I don't think you should want to miss this one. So meandola.co.uk forward slash courses and sign on up. Okay, that is enough from me. Let me introduce you to the wonderful and the truly inspiring Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Welcome at last to my podcast. Hi, Sarah. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. 
I say at last because this was a conversation we had originally scheduled for several months ago and you very kindly understood that my health and my mental health just wasn't mm-hmm. quite up to it and we've been kind of pushing this back and pushing this back until we got to the right place. Yes. And what I want to say is you were politely persistent about making <laughs> this happen and I appreciate that so much I feel like we don't talk enough about how much like we see persistence as kind of a negative thing a lot of the time like oh am I bothering them am I pestering am I nagging but actually like as someone with ADHD but also someone who was going through a hard time having you pop up in my inbox meant (laughs) I I didn't have to hold it in my head and remember I was like Kimberly is going to remind me and we're going to get that book done so thank you being on your podcast, it might sound a little bit fangirlish, but being on your podcast is is a dream for me. And so it was something on my vision board and like one little no or not yet. <laughs> it was actually not even a no. It was a not yet. Wasn't quite enough to knock it off there. So I was like, oh, let me just see. And I hope, I hope that my emails were polite still and and kind because I think you can be persistent and still be be kind I hope I was so um yeah I I um I just this is a dream and I wasn't going to give up on that dream so quickly I love that and I think it's easy to underestimate like how important that skill is in making our dreams come true which is why I just wanted to touch on this because I'm, I'm sure there are people listening who are afraid to be too persistent afraid of how it might come across or how people might interpret it. And the cost of that is the dream, right? Because it's very conceivable that if you had just accepted me cancelling that original interview and not got back in touch, that I would have remembered at 3am various times, but never quite managed to get you booked back in. So, yeah. I think a lot of the times we make up stories in our head as to why someone's not getting back to us or, you know, like we create these whole scenarios. Oh, she's not coming back because, you know, she actually didn't really want me to be on the podcast Mm. and she doesn't think, you know, we come up with all these stories when in actual fact, sometimes it's just that people forget or they're too busy or they're going through a rough season or so rather than assuming, unless I have a firm no, I And I do the same actually also with clients. So if somebody inquires about, you know, a workshop or something and I respond and then I don't hear back, I don't think, oh my God, they thought I was too expensive or something like that. I just always think like, you know what, maybe they forgot or maybe they're not sure. Or like I I try not to create all these scenarios in my head and instead just try and and get the answer concretely and could be like, oh, they went on holiday or whatever the case. Yeah. So I always try to just at least follow up twice actually that's my my standard usually such a valuable skill in um 15 minute magic when I run it we do some pitching and I always make people follow up because it is it brings up so much discomfort but if you can sit with it and kind of like you say sift through it and go oh like these are all stories it reminds me of when I had CBT when I was much younger Mm -hmm. um the therapist was telling me like if you see someone in the street and you think like a friend and they don't recognize you or they don't smile at you my brain would obviously go to like they hate me I've done something wrong and so she would make me list 10 reasons why it's not my fault yeah amazing I've realized I've not even asked you to introduce yourself yet we just dove right on in there (laughs) dived dove tell everybody listening who you are and what you do Of course. My name is Kimberly Espinal. I'm a food photographer, food photography teacher. I'm the author of the book, Creative Food Photography, How to Capture Exceptional Images of Food. And I'm also the host of the podcast called Eat, Capture, Share, which is the name of my Instagram food photography challenge. And that is probably the thing most people know me for. I have so many questions for you and there's so much I want to talk to you about today. Let's start with the question of food photography. Where did that come from? Why food? Yes. So I, I've always loved food and food has 
I think many of us love food, yep. right? Like it's yep. something so delicious and so special and so nourishing. And food played a huge part in my upbringing. My mom had a catering business and actually now my sister runs a vegan donut store and my brother works in food too. So it's just been huge. But actually what happened for me was I was an adoption social worker for nearly 15 years. And I had my son and kind of that threw everything on its head for me because a nine to five didn't really fit anymore. Mm. So I was like, you know, I'd love to work for myself. I'd love to do something that I can fit around his needs, his, you know, school hours. And then I made a list of all the things that I felt really passionate about and food was one of them. And I decided actually to retrain as a nutritional therapist. And in that process, I um, started a food blog because I was like, you know, I'm going to study for three years. And then when I graduate, like, how am I going to find clients? Like, how is that going to work? So let me start a food blog now so that by the time I graduate, I'll have recipes and I'll have, you know, something tangible. And I started an Instagram as well at the same time. And as I got my second hand DSLR off eBay and I picked it up, Honestly, like the way I I describe it is like I felt I was coming home. Like Mm -hmm. there was just something so magical about combining food and photography. You know, those two things, that creativity and then that love for all that deliciousness and then putting it together. I just felt alive. I felt alive. And by the time I graduated, so once the three years had passed, I decided to go in full force with the photography. And by that time, I'd had some, you know, some paid gigs and some bits and pieces. So I knew it was possible. And that was that was kind of my journey, really. How big a role then did the blog and the Instagram play in like getting those first clients? A huge huge. And I don't think I would be where I am today without my website and blog and without Instagram. Like that is the, you know, that's the harsh truth. We can, we can bash Instagram as, as, as long as we want. But the truth is it's opened so many doors for creatives like me and for you too. I Mm, know. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think for me, Instagram is almost a little bit like a portfolio yeah. initially. So it's it's where you share your work and where people get a sense. But now it's morphed into more as I've gotten deeper into writing and, you know, it's, it's where I share deep thoughts, where I write almost mini essays in my captions and that as well as my blog writing, I feel really help me train my writing voice and prepare me for for writing a book. So I'm really grateful for both those platforms in different ways for for preparing me for for where the, this journey has taken me. So I yeah, I, I would really I think Instagram is is great for short form captions and things like that, you know, concise writing and then blog writing, I feel really helps with longer form content where you have to go a little bit deeper. Um, and also think about stuff like keywords and, you know, how you want to rank and stuff like that. And even thinking like, how do I make this opening grabby, grabby enough so that people stick around? Like say, especially on Instagram, like your caption needs to be compelling enough to engage somebody. And that is a skill, like there's no better place to practice that than online because you can see the immediate feedback. You can see like the bounce rate from the blog post or how many people have just not bothered to read the caption. So yeah, like I I totally agree. It is an ideal training ground for writing for an audience. I also think the other thing, you know, when I, when I picked up my camera and when I combined that with food, it was really the creative aspect that I was drawn to that I love. And and that's my first love, but through the blog and also Instagram, what I have learned and that um, ties in a little bit with what you just said is marketing skills. You know, how do you sell? How do you market? How, and those two skills are so important to actually create a creative business that that thrives, right? Like we can be the most amazing photographer in the world or the most brilliant writer. But if we don't combine that with really solid marketing and sales skills, then our chances of success are just much slimmer. So, you know, and, and this thing about having a really 
almost like um, clickbaity opening mm. line. That's part of a marketing skill. And that, you know, I'm sure you didn't have that when you started oh, seven no. years ago. Scroll you know, back. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's something, a, a skill and technique that you've developed over time. And that is in response to being able to tune into what your audience wants because they're there. So you can you yeah. were just saying, you know, you have that immediate feedback and being able to recognize and then tune into that. That's a whole other skill in itself as well. So there's so many skills learned and so many skills needed um, to thrive as a creative. And I'm really grateful both for the blog and for Instagram. And, and to be honest, also now for the podcast, that's a whole other thing, right? Yes. So yeah. it's just been, it. I yeah, that feeling alive when I picked up my camera, that whole, I still feel that every time I step in front of a mic, every time I step onto Instagram, because I feel like I'm in control of my destiny. Like I, or not in control of my destiny, I have a say in it. I have a real yeah. say in it. I get to shape it. You're being intentional Where, about yes, it. Yes, yes. Whereas in a nine to five, I love my job but I didn't feel I had that autonomy that I have now. And I feel, I feel that I can be me in this, this, this new space that we're creating online. And um, I love that. There's like so many light bulbs flashing in my head <laughs> as you speak. Because <laughs> um, I'm thinking about how those terms sales and marketing, like traditionally, most of us are only role models of them, are only kind of prior conception of them is a very patriarchal very capitalist framework for them and Instagram and social media in general I think it has opened up this opportunity for us to reshape them and redefine them in ways that work for us so that when you have to like market yourself it doesn't have to be quite like the used car salesman kind yeah. of marketing they do still like to me I they still feel like dirty words almost <laughs> um, I wish we could have slightly different terms because I feel like my baggage with both of those terms is is like run so deep but I think that when we look back on this time kind of sociologists or whoever in you know 20 years time I think that's one of the shifts we'll see is that how women in particular but just mm -hmm. creatives taking up space and creating these businesses that we're seeing spring up now online how that has reshaped our ideas of what it is to be a leader what a ceo is mm. what a successful business person is what marketing is what sales has to look like i agree I agree. Like, I feel like, amen. <laughs> yeah. And so how exciting to be a part of that, right? Like we get to be, uh, and it's, that's why it's challenging as well, because a lot of the time we're fighting systems and frameworks that have been in place for a really long time and haven't been built for people like you and me to necessarily succeed. Absolutely. Right. How would you respond? I've heard this. It's, I mean, we know the mainstream press loves to bash Instagram in general, loves to bash millennials, lives, loves to just rain on the parade of anyone who might be enjoying using photography and Instagram for pleasure or business. How do you respond to the narrative that like taking pictures of your food is in some way like superficial or infuriating and nobody wants to see it like clearly that's not been your experience so no. what would you say to refute that I think that is really the narrative around creativity not being something of value mm. and when in actual fact what I saw myself and what I see in my students and and really what Instagram is evident of is that creativity is a fundamental part of who we are as human beings. Yes. And the suppression of that, I think, creates actually really unhappy people. And when we have an opportunity to express our creative selves is when we feel most complete. And seeing somebody do something that you dream of doing is so inspiring and so uplifting. And bringing beauty into the world is so inspiring and so uplifting. And I think it's of, of great value. I think it's of great value. And again, actually, I think 
putting it down is part of the patriarchal society that didn't value that. It is joy. Creativity is joy. Creativity is being alive. And whether that is you take pictures of your cat or your birds or like I do, your, your, your food, that's what makes it so special that we all have that one thing that we're super passionate about and that we really want to delve deeper into. I think bringing joy to the world is, is, is wonderful. So I poo poo on them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. And like, I always think what an incredible record of our time Mm -hmm. we are creating. Can you imagine if you could go back in history to any point and see records of what people's daily diet looked like on the table? And what their gatherings were like and, and like how much of that food could we even recognize in all different cultures around the world and different places and times like food is such a storyteller. There's so much personal narrative in it. Yeah. It's so personal. And like, yeah, I, I would love to see like, what did people who lived in my house 200 years ago put on their table? And how does it exactly. look compared to what I eat now? So, yeah, I, I think it's I think I completely agree. It is. Along with all the influencer bashing in general and kind of the railing against social media as the end of days, I think um, I I think you're right that it it comes down to this like creativity is not perceived as productive and Mm. productivity is how we value everything in the world. It's how we measure worth. So someone is like, what is the value of your photograph of your avocado toast? And if I can't tangibly say that you have somehow increased your profitability by taking it then it is not worth it um and so in that way every single photograph of your avocado toast is a rebellious act and i love that so i think so too more avocado toast pictures that's all we need (laughs) (laughs) let's loop back around for a moment to what i was talking about at the beginning your skillful persistence I used to have in my Twitter bio that I was annoyingly tenacious because I think I have a similar skill set to you that when when I want something enough, you're going to have to tell me no properly. But I wonder how that showed up for you because you've written this beautiful book. I have it here in front of me, Creative Food Photography. And I remember you sitting in my house downstairs a number of years ago and telling me yeah. and Jen Carrington and the rest of the group that we had that day mm. how this was your dream. Yes. How did you go from that place to this now sitting here on my kitchen table in all of its glory. <laughs> well, it was so actually, yes, I that's you know, I, the, the mastermind was wonderful because it was really the first time I had said out loud what I wanted to somebody beyond my husband and son. You know, I really yeah. wanted to write this book. I felt I like I, I keep you the phrase I use is like, I felt this book had to be born. I felt it had to come out into the world. And and I remember waking up and just knowing that instinctively. And I was like, well, if, if I feel that, if, if I know in my heart that I need to write this book, then the stars will align. Like there's no way that it's not going to happen for me. And, you know, at the time, if memory serves me right, I had a, you know, sizable Instagram audience. I think I had like 80,000 or, you know, it, it was sizable. So it wasn't like I didn't have an audience. I had a good mailing list size. All the things that we know publishers exactly. like to see. Exactly. So I was just like, you know, I'm going to, I took six months to write my proposal and put it all together. And I was just like, this is all going to happen. And so in total, I would say I sent off my proposal probably to about 30 agents slash publishers, and they all said no. And I just remember thinking, like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I know this book just has to be more like, what am I going to do? And um, so I then decided to explore the self-publishing route Okay, because... let me pause you, sorry. Okay, yeah, go Just for it. Just right there, because, <laughs> like, you make that sound so easy. I got 30 rejections, so I decided <laughs> I'd just self-publish. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't. Like, I would say every rejection felt like a punch in the stomach. Yeah. Like, it it, it would take me about 24 hours to recover. Mm. You know, like, I, I mean, I didn't cry or anything, but I remember, like, it was like, oh, like, in your gut. Like, you kind of want to throw up a little bit. That's yeah. what it felt like. And, and when you got those rejections, yeah. 
how specific are they about their reasoning? Is it just a no? Is it a no because? So some of them, so sometimes you don't hear anything. And usually when you send it to publishers or really, really sought after agents, which I actually didn't didn't do, I went with agents that were recommended by a friend who knew a friend type of thing. Mm -hmm. So I got lucky in that sense because it meant that I got some concrete feedback. But most of them just said like, no one's interested in food photography. It's too niche. You'll never sell more than a thousand copies. No one's going to buy this. You know, this sounds more like an e-course. So, you know, some of it was actually really helpful and some of it, uh, well, and first when I got the rejection saying no one's interested in food photography, I was just like, oh my God, like, no, that's not true. I have people who fly in from, I don't know, Dubai and yeah. come and do with me. Like, I know there's, there's, there's a whole niche audience who loves food photography, who breathes food photography, who lives food photography. So I knew that wasn't right. But then after 30 rejections, there was a little wobble moment where I was like, well, they have been in the publishing industry for years. They know, they probably know lots of things I don't know. So there was a moment where I was like, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm totally delusional. And then, you know, I had to do a lot of soul searching. You kind of have to consider that, right? Like, I think to never consider that is to is to have no self-awareness like we all have to have that moment where we go okay I've received a lot of feedback how much of this am I going to take on board and and why are they giving it me but also like it's really essential that you didn't then come to the conclusion straight away like well they know better and I have to just take it all in I mean what I felt and and this is actually ties really nicely what we were talking about before the patriarchy, like a lot of the publishing houses are run by men of a certain age or the, it's a certain, it's a certain ambience there that maybe isn't quite 100% tuned in to this new wave of media and the influencers yes. and, and Instagram. And they're not, they, they haven't quite quite got their heads around it. That was my sense of some of those rejections. But I did take it to heart. What then happened actually was that a competitor sounds sounds wrong, but somebody else who is in my space got a book deal for a food photography book. And I mean, of course I was heartbroken, mm. but actually once I recovered from that, I was like, you know what, actually she was given that because they, there is a market for this. And so what it ultimately did, it validated what I thought I knew. And although again, it was a huge setback for me emotionally, it ultimately gave me that reassurance that I wasn't completely delusional. Yeah. And that was the point where I said, you know what, let's go the self-publishing route. And there, there was other, two other things that happened that, well, actually I would say three that happened and that for anybody who's listening, who's interested in self-publishing, you know, I, I would say, but the, the first one was I recorded my whole journey on my podcast, Eat, Capture, Share. So I, the reason I did that was sometimes, you know, when you say a dream out loud, like I did at the mastermind and other people hear it, then it's harder to back out because mm. you have, you know, you have witnesses. A bit of accountability kind of built in. Exactly. Exactly. So I recorded it on my podcast and that was actually the first reason where I was like, you know, I need to be held accountable. My audience will hold me accountable. But then something really interesting happened where I could sense I was getting emails and DMs where women were like, wait a minute, if you can't make your dream come true, what chance do I have? Like, I don't mm. have a chance. And I was like, I, I can't let their dream die because I'm not pursuing mine. Like I could, I could not let that happen. Yeah. The second thing that happened a little bit further down the line, but still was really significant for me and gave me that final push was, you know, the murder of George Floyd and mm. the whole, you know, horrendous summer that was 2020. And at the time that that happened, there was on Twitter, this thing trending 
what publishing paid me, I think it was the hashtag. And what transpired in that was, you know, in a way I knew this, but seeing it black and white just really like hit home was the number of people of color who get book deals, the number of women of color who get book deals, and then what they get paid. And I was like, I don't want to be another statistic that affirms the status quo, you know, another woman of color who's not going to have their book published whilst her white counterparts are getting book deals left. I was like, I cannot be part of, I have to, you know, counter that statistic. And that was super, um, yes, super important and, and super powerful motivator actually to, to pull me through. That's really powerful. I got goosebumps hearing you say that because it is that's I mean it's kind of what we were talking about earlier isn't it like being the change in action and transforming the old structures and the old frameworks that just aren't working anymore and I mean what better way to make publishers realize what they're missing out on than for you to go and self-publish have all that success on your own and keep 100% of the profits yes and there's other things that you know the the final the final part of that is you know, the way i always look at the publishing journey is it's almost a little bit like dragon's den you mm. know where you go and you pitch your your concept and in this case the concept is the book you pitch you and your concept to these investors aka the publishers and then they say yeah we're going to invest in you or, or we're not like that's actually what the whole process is it's that you presenting your your concept and them saying whether they're going to invest or not and then i thought well what if i were sitting where all those investors sit would i invest in myself like do i believe in this concept enough to put my money where my mouth is. And I was like, yeah, I believe in that brown girl. I do. <laughs> and so that's, I said, no, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And, uh, and now in retrospect, I have to say it was the best decision mm. ever because, you know, I got to choose the cover of my book, the title of my book. I've chosen copper foil on the cover, yes. which I know, <laughs> you know, no traditional publisher would have ever invested no, in that. No, you wouldn't have been allowed that. No, I wouldn't have been allowed. And now I allowed myself to do that. And I chose the paper quality and it smells a particular way. And I did all the things and I learned so much. And, you know, as a, as, as a creative, I've grown in the process, just the design process of the book. And also as an entrepreneur, you know, actually now understanding what the cost is of producing a book and the profit margins and liaising with the distributors. And I've just become a much more confident entrepreneur in the process. And I know through that much more, a much more valuable leader to my community. And so, you know, like, yeah, did I want to go through all that pain? No, but having come out the other end, I feel so much stronger, so much stronger. Oh, I, sorry, I'm just like so swept up in your story. I'm not ready with my question. <laughs> like, tell me more. Um, so tell us about like the nuts and bolts of self-publishing because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I've got it here. It is, a, it is not like a DIY book. It is not like one of those slightly dodgy eBooks mm-hmm. you might buy on Amazon. <laughs> this is a real beautiful like there's nothing to tell you that this has not come from a major publishing house thank you how how (laughs) well I'll tell you how firstly and this is really important to me I say this is my book but it's not my book there were gosh like at least 10 women involved in bringing this book to life and one of them is she was actually in your podcast, Fiona Humberstone. She is just amazing. And we had, she has self-published, I think, three books, Mm -hmm. all of which have sold insane amounts of, of copies. And, you know, I sometimes I think... I don't know if this makes sense or if this sounds a little woo-woo, but I think people have an energy in them, you know, like, and Fiona has an energy that just makes, that lifts you up, 
I mean, she's strict. She tells you exactly what it is. And we (laughs) had our arguments and we disagreed, but she just, you know, like there's just this energy and I could feel how I was absorbing her energy and kind Mm. of stepping in and having her by my side as she, we, so what she did is she, she helped me define my brand and helped me position myself in this book. How is it different from everything else? And that's something we have to think about as authors. Like we're never going to be the first one to write about, I don't know anything yeah like it's and especially with the internet someone could google it if they really wanted to they could google any specific thing exactly so what you have to think about going back to the marketing and sales element we were talking about at the beginning is what is your position in this like where where does your book sit who's your audience and then how do you and that's where her expertise comes in what do you choose in terms of colors and fonts to communicate and signal to that audience that you want to signal to that this is for them and so she really helped helped me define that. And then again, this is where Instagram comes in and she put a little note on her Instagram. It's like, we're looking for a book designer. And we had like maybe 10 responses. And one of them, Emily, I mean, wow. Mm. She like her portfolio that she sent through, I was crying. It was so gorgeous. And then we had a call and I just felt she got me, she got my brand. She really got it. And she helped you know, bring the book to life with a book cover and brought some really cool ideas. And then, um, you know, I had lots of food stylists help me. I mean, there's more than 150 photos in the book. So all that food had to be created somehow. <laughs> you know, and eaten. And eaten, which it was. <laughs> <laughs> I would have helped you with that, just so you know, if you do a second one, okay, I'm happy to help with the eating. <laughs> I'll bear that in mind. But, you know, they work tirelessly in baking cakes and doing the avocado toast and all the things to photograph it. And then, and this is another really important thing, um, especially, you know, for me, because weirdly enough, English isn't actually my first language. It's a whole other story, a whole other other podcast. But um, I think it's really important to have an two editors. I had two editors. So one was who checked grammar and punctuation and that kind of thing. And then I also had a structural editor who just ensured that there was a flow in the book. Like, you know, like it kind of described it like there's like one chapter, kind of the wave of one chapter ends as the next one starts. And, you know, just even how you name your, 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 your chapters. Like we went from camera basics to, you know, creative, I don't even know what we changed it to. Okay, like it do you was... want me to look? Hang on. <laughs> Let's look. <laughs> so I think like light and shadow, like light, studying light became light and shadow play or something like that. Yeah. So we have like shooting your star, lighting your star. I love all of these. Yeah. Exactly. Every food story needs a star. Exactly. So, so that's where the, the structural editor comes in. So she'll just think about, you know, if somebody's browsing your book and just looks at the content page, will they be like, Oh, this sounds, this sounds kind of sexy. Mm. Like I want this book. Are they going to be like, Oh, this sounds like, you know, sixth form, (laughs) so, you know, they really help bring the poet for me anyways, they, she helped bring the poetry. And so there was so many creatives involved. What I will say, and I think that's an important part of the story because I don't want to make it sound like it's a bed of roses. There's a financial investment in that. So, you know, like, the dragon's den analogy again, you're the investor. So that means you have to, you have to pay for structural editors and all the things. But, but I felt, I, again, like I really felt this is how, how I thought. So this is how I'm sharing it with you. I felt like this brown girl deserved, deserved that, you know? Yes. So, yes. So yeah. So I worked hard to, to pay everything in cash and, and, um, that's that's how it all came to be which again must have taken a healthy dose of self-belief to be like I'm going to invest in this and believe that I'm going to sell enough to get it back I'm sure there were moments at 3am where you (laughs) doubted it but it seems like for you you're able to really sit in that conviction and that is the thing that has ultimately meant that you've got here to this place where it's out in the world yeah I don't want to make it sound like I was like oh I'm gonna sell thousands of (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was done like, deal baby <laughs> like it wasn't like that but I just you know I always say 
I, I think I, I experienced all the emotions everybody does. I think what has helped me is that I do it anyway. You know, I just do mm. it anyway. And I just knew, like for me, the, the, th- the option was, do I do this, spend the money, freak out about it, see what happens and live to tell the tale or do I let the dream die and then wonder what if, what could have been. And that second scenario, I just couldn't live with that. I could not live with that. I love that. I'm so glad that you didn't. And was it an intentional decision for all of the creatives that worked on it to be women? Did it just kind of end up that way with the people you connected with? So remember like this, I want, how do I phrase this? I, the people that I chose to work with, I chose because I thought they were amazing, but I did give a lot of consideration around ethnic representation mm. and there are brown hands and there are black hands and there are white yes. hands and there are old hands. And that was really important for me. And that was a conscious decision. I also asked nine creatives from my community to share their work in the book. And again, I chose them because I work just moved me so much, but I did want to ensure that every continent was represented, you know, mm. and, um, because food photography all over the world is just a little bit different and how our light, you know, how we see the light, how we play with light, the foods that we share. And I wanted that, you know, as I, as I was sitting in the CEO seat of this journey, I could make that decision and that felt really important. So there was, it was part coincidence, part by design that it was women and it was, you know, women of all backgrounds and, and culturally and, and also, um, you know, socioeconomically. And, and I love that about the book. And I think it makes it what it is. I agree. I agree. It's, it's somehow in every page, like you can tell. And again, it's that kind of leadership. It's, it's you taking a step out of what's always been before and being the change that we're all kind of fighting for. How did you find then, you, you called it like being the CEO of the book. How was that role for you? Like the delegating, the management, the possibly having to like say difficult things to people sometimes? I think, you know, this is really interesting because we said this, I think, before you press record. Mm. But I, my goal at the very start was to sell 5,000 copies of the book because 5,000 copies is my break-even point. So that was my initial start. But actually, the book, I feel like I haven't sold 5,000 copies yet. I'm I'm well on my way. But um, I have gained so much through the book. You know, as I said before, leadership skills. I now understand the whole process from printers to distributors to how Amazon works. And yes, it's as dodgy as you would think (laughs) to actually getting, and I don't know how you, if you felt the same, Sarah, with your book, I'd be really interested to know, but I feel that, um, it gave me an authority within my space that I didn't have at this level. And also I have seen inquiries for my courses double Mm. since the release of the book. And so, you know, all those things means that the book has paid for itself, you know, twice over already. You know, if if I take that, that whole thing, well, yeah, if you were to pay for classes or coaching exactly. to develop that skill set ahead of time before you even let yourself start, yeah, you'd you'd spend way more than. <laughs> and so I, it's not, you know, if, if we go back to the beginning of my story, this was never what I, when I left social work, I never thought, wow, I'm going to be running a six-figure business and publishing books. And I never, never but it is, it is, um, it's wonderful mm. <laughs> to have made it and, and to know that it's possible and to know that I'm stronger than I think I am. And that's what this book, the CEO of the book journey has allowed me to see. And, and it's, it's been, it's all the 30 rejections and all the things 
I wouldn't change it for the world. And I'm happy everything turned out the way that it did. I'm very grateful. And um, yes, and I hope if there's anyone listening who's even thinking about self-publishing that that they that they go for it. I really, really do. I really do. Were there any resources or places that you were able to go to kind of figure out how to do that, to self-publish? Mm -hmm. So I would definitely recommend Fiona Humberstone's blog. She's got a lot of blog posts around self-publishing. I've also now added that to my blog. So if anybody just types in self-publishing in the search bar of my blog, I have about 10 or so articles and I've I've talked about it extensively on the podcast too. So there's definitely resources there. And then there's also a podcast. Maybe if I give that to you, um, I can't off the top of my head. Yeah, if you find it and we can add it to the show notes. I will, yeah. Exactly. So you can add to the show notes, but he does a lot of, um, there's it's like a whole series of podcasts that I found incredibly helpful. So yes, those three, I would say that's a really great place to start. And have you got any advice for someone more generally who is maybe trying to find the courage to pursue their dream right now and struggling with that self-worth, self-belief piece? So please know you're not alone. I think that's the thing about being a creative. Like we always struggle with our sense of worth and our confidence. But maybe write down the mantra, I'm going to do it anyway, every yeah. day, and do it anyway. Yeah, love that. I want to just say as well, having the book here in my hands, having had the chance to really go through it, that it is such a valuable tool. And I feel like its value could almost go beyond just food I mean I'm putting just in like inverted commas here because obviously food is a huge arena but your skill of teaching and the way you craft your images and the way you help people understand that process is so so valuable so I feel like anyone out there who's listening and is wanting to up level their styling and their photography and start taking the pictures that they see in their heads this book is such a gift and you've just been so generous in it with sharing your knowledge and your magic so thank you and I know um I'm going to steal you for the insta retreat and we're going to do a session together there where you can help out everybody in there with uh, some of their styling too so thank you thank you Sarah I really appreciate that coming from you means a lot because I admire your photography but I also absolutely adore your writing super super inspired by your writing and um so yes thank you Thank you. Right back at you then. <laughs> and, um, I guess the last thing I would love to hear about is Instagram as a platform has really changed since the days when you and I first started on it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, has your relationship with it changed? Has your relationship with your audience changed? How do you use it now compared to the role it played in your business five, eight years ago? So I, I still love it, but I noticed that I... So when I first started, it was like, I have to post six, six times a week. Mm-hmm. That was my, and now I try and post about maybe three times a week. And that feels, that feels just right because there's a lot of, there's, you know, a lot of eyes on you and, and there's a, like an intensity there that if I spend too much time that I do feel a little bit drained, if that makes sense. Yeah. So when I step onto the platform, I really want to offer as much valuable content as possible rather than, Hey, what's up? How are you doing? You know, like I try to share things that I think are going to be helpful. And, mm. and um, so that I'm, I, it's intentional. You know, my time spent there is intentional and, um, and it's still a fundamental part of my business. I would say Instagram is making it trickier, which I know you probably talk about mm. loads in your Insta retreat, but because I have a blog and because I have my newsletter, which I started by like, I never even told you this. I started that because of you. <gasps> really? We have to talk about that. Off, off, like, so. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it means that I don't feel like a pressure, like I can really step onto there because I want to, and not because I have to. Yes. It's just a tool in your toolbox. It's not One the tool. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You've got the podcast. Have you delved into any other social media? Have you TikToked yet? No. So you know, <laughs> the thing is, I know very much where my strengths are, and mm. I know where my weaknesses are. And anything to do with stepping in front of a camera, 
forget about it. Like, <laughs> like TikTok is never going to happen. YouTube is never going to happen. But I have dabbled in Clubhouse. Yeah. And I really, really like it. I, so what I, what I want to do, I haven't started, like I did it and then I stopped and I, I kind of want to do like series, like maybe four or six, you know, once a week type mm. things and around a specific theme and then take a little break. And, but I love it. It's like a podcast only, only kind of sort of better in a way. <laughs> yeah. It's got such low, like low pressure and like compared to a lot of other social media where you feel the need for it to be perfect because it's live and it's off the cuff. There's none of that. And I love that. Yeah. And you can be in your PJs, which is wonderful. Yes, yes. <laughs> Normalize, and no video, exactly. just audio. I mean, that's not great for accessibility. Thing, I know. I, I do hope they change this, that you, I would, that they have a built-in way of recording it. And I, yeah. I'm hoping that's going to come next because it'd be lovely to take some of that content and be able to repurpose it. But I really predict that Clubhouse is here to stay. And um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I give it six months before Instagram introduces its own Clubhouse feature. <laughs> It'll be called like the gang house. Oh my God. Instagram is so aggressive. Yeah, so but aggressive. we'll all use it. So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of look forward to it and dread it in the same breath. I'm going to have to update the Insta retreat again yes. <laughs> when they do. Kimberly, where can people find your incredible book and hear more of just your wisdom and grace? Well, my book, Creative Food Photography, How to Capture Exceptional Images of Food, is available on Amazon, Book Depository, and hopefully when stores open again at WH Smith and all the other places. You can find me on Instagram as The Little Plantation, which is also the name of my blog, and my podcast is called Eat, Capture, Share. Amazing. I'll make sure we link to all of those in the show notes as well for everybody. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you, Sarah. Show notes for this episode are at meandallight.co.uk, head to the podcast page. And there you will also find links for all of Kimberly's work, her wonderful book, and that class, The Insta Retreat, where she's going to be joining me and doing a very special live workshop. I have loved being back with you guys. Hopefully you can subscribe in your podcast app, maybe leave me a positive review, and we can get this show back on the road. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.